1: Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Lintesta, and this is our show for the week of Shimmer's Day, May 8th, 2023. Happy Mother's Day. On the show today, news, surveys, and listener questions. Then in our main segment, Jim gives us the history of Disney's Star of the Day campaign at MGM Studios. Let's get started by bringing in the man whose mom called him by his rejected baby names to get him out the door for school every morning on time. It's Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going?
0: It's going well, and uh, uh, to be honest, you there. I, I responded to that, you know.
1: <laughs> Cornelius, Euripides hill. Get, get over here. <laughs> there we go. Or two of five. You there? Okay, come <laughs> here. Yeah, whatever. whatever. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> All right, Jim. Let's, let's do a quick shout out to subscribers over at disneydish.bandcamp.com. Thanks to new subscribers Davey World, Melissa Krim, Matt Norris, and Peter Hall Six, and longtime subscribers Ron Petersdorf. Doug Krupa, Kelly McMullen, and Brittany Jackson. Jim, these are the trilingual cast members who first taught Donald, Pinchito, and Jose to speak Japanese when the Mickey Mouse Review moved to Tokyo, and then Spanish when those characters moved to the Grand Fiesta Tour in Epcot back in 2015. They say that Donald still slips in some Shitamachi slang into Grand Fiesta Tour, and Jose eats a Tishoku lunch every day. True story. This would explain those
0: bento boxes I periodically find floating in the, in the canal there. Okay, it, good. It all
1: makes sense now, doesn't it? It does. It does. Fantastic. All right, Jim, mm-hmm. let's do the news. Folks, the Disney Dish News is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Disney Dish Podcast. For a worry free travel experience every time, book online at storybookdestinations.com. All right, Jim, Disney continues to add more annual passholder bonus days in May with virtually all of them at Epcot and Animal Kingdom. Do you think, uh, Jim, this gives us hints about where uh, attendance is lacking and the next set of attractions might be going? We're
0: still waiting for them to finish the most recent set of of additions to Epcot. And also worth noting that at that infamous D23 presentation in August of 2022, uh, this is where we got shown, at least Animal Kingdom, where potentially the Moana and Zootopia land was going. And for the 25th anniversary celebration, one of the things that they started doing at that theme park was a meet and greet with Moana. So I think the smart money is on Animal Kingdom, Len.
1: I would think so. Yeah, I yeah. agree. Mm-hmm. Also, I noticed that uh, Disney's Hollywood Studios got annual passholder bonus days on Sundays, in every Sunday in May, except the Memorial Day Sunday. So that kind of makes sense. And Jim, I mention this because our friend Andy, who listens to the show, sent in a new Disney survey that asks, among other things, whether these bonus days affect the perceived value of an annual pass. And we'll talk more about that uh, later on in the show. Interesting. Okay. Also, Jim, uh, two separate projects continue in World Showcase Lagoon. Hmm. One is the dismantling of the harmonious barges, um, but the other one is the installation of new equipment for the upcoming new fireworks show. Jim, and I, I, I note that this is early May, but the fact that they're installing hardware for it, does this mean we're looking for like an October? launch, if you will, of the Fireworks Show?
0: Sooner, better than later. I mean, though that said, did did you see where our buddy Bio reconstructed the flyover? And they aren't kidding about taking apart those barges. You know, they they had one of them stripped down for parts, I want to say, within the past week to 10 days, and I would imagine... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Others are, are speeding along as well. But yeah, with Epcot needs a nighttime show as an artificial reason to keep people in yeah. that park at night. And when a Harmonious or an Illuminations isn't running, the restaurants in the park suffer, the shops oh, suffer. Yeah. So everybody would like to see this this new fireworks show in there sooner rather than later.
1: Agreed. I think it's, uh, it's good for everyone. Also, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm still kind of interested in figuring out what Disney was doing in the back of the Morocco Pavilion, but that's a story for another time.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. A couple of other things, uh, Jim. Our friend Scott wrote in to say that Disney seems to be testing a new trip planning service for DVC members. Mm -hmm. And the reason uh, we think that is he got an email that said from Disney, we're excited to share that Disney Vacation Club is piloting an all new member experience specialist team designed to enhance your membership. You're invited to participate in this new program before arriving and during your upcoming stay at Disney's blank resort where you'll have the chance to experience an elevated approach to member services. So among the things that this dedicated team will be able to do for DVC members, look for dining reservations when available and book them, search for recreation availabilities, organize your special events, set up your My Disney Experience app, uh, the Magic Mobile Digital Wallet Pass, park tickets, park reservations, resort reservation requests, and then general questions. So it seems like, Jim, Mm If I understand correctly, Disney's now dedicating a team to clearing out all of the obstacles that Disney implemented with its website and app. <laughs> Makes total sense to me, yeah.
0: Well, you know, remember, once upon a time, DVC folks, they don't have a, a false sense of, sense of entitlement. They have a real sense of entitlement. No, they paid they more money than the rest of us. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, and the whole notion of, oh... Treat those folks well, mm-hmm. you know, because again, they're the ones who evangelize to friends and family. So I, the I, thing, I'm the happy. Thing that,
1: yeah, the thing that surprises me mm-hmm. is that DVC members are among the most knowledgeable of mm-hmm. Disney guests, yep. and to acknowledge that you need a separate program to help these most knowledgeable guests with these things indicates something to me. Yeah. yeah. Super interesting. If anyone uh, if anyone's actually gone through this, write in and let us know how how it worked. Mm-hmm. All right, a couple of other things. Michelin has announced the Bib Gourmand Awards for Central Florida. So these actually came out a little bit early. The um, next update for the Michelin Guide for Orlando comes mm-hmm. out this Thursday, which is May 11th. But they've already actually announced the Bib Gourmand winners for mm-hmm. Central Florida. And there are four restaurants in Orlando that got this designation. None of them are Disney um, or Disney Springs or anything related to Disney. And Jim, that's interesting because, remember on an episode not too long ago, we talked about the different levels of recognition that you get from Michelin. One is just being listed in the guide. Mm -hmm. The second highest is this thing called Bib Gourmand, which is basically, this is a really good um, restaurant for the money, and then you start after that getting into actual stars. And that's important because the Disney restaurants that have already been acknowledged as getting recognized by Michelin coming up on May 11th, didn't get the low tier of the award. So that's good, we'll see what happens. Okay, okay. Still excited. Also Jim, and this is kind of related to Disney news, but the trailer for Space Robots in Outer Space 10, which you and I filmed on the Galactic Star Cruiser last month has been released. You can see the entire trailer at tinyurl.com slash Hank, H-A-N-K, and then number 10. Thanks to everyone who went with us on the Star Cruiser and who appeared in the trailer.
0: Also, uh, uh, a special tip of the hat to, to Aaron Adams, who took yeah. all of the very weird footage that we sent him. And, and
1: <laughs> can you make this into a trailer? Yeah, he did. He did there great on <laughs> it. Lovingly crafted, I would say. So good job. There Aaron. we go.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: All right, Jim. On to surveys. I mentioned mm-hmm. earlier that Andy had sent in a Disney survey with some new questions around annual pass holders. Here's a couple of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, how many times did you have to try to make a park reservation? For the dates that you wanted to visit, that's Ooh. kind of interesting. I haven't seen that one before. Yeah. When asked why she slightly disagreed with the statement, Disney appreciates its annual pass holders. Andy wrote, "Still remember that unfavorable attendance mix comment? <laughs> Which
0: <laughs> that was an entirely
1: different CEO. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Rebecca Andy, Black. let it go. Black, I love you, Andy. I love you. <laughs> okay. And then the uh, the other one that was interesting was are you aware of any annual passholder offers or discounts at other Central Florida theme parks? Hmm. And so it's not asking what they were. It's asking Mm -hmm. if you're aware of them, and that's kind of interesting.
0: Okay.
1: Uh, Our friend Mark sent in a Universal Studios Hollywood survey that asks, if each of the following were recreated as state-of-the-art rides or attractions in a world-class theme park, how interested would you be in experiencing such an attraction and there's a you know five point Likert scale basically from I would avoid this attraction to I would make a special trip mm-hmm. to a theme park just for it. And so the middle is like I might check it out. Mm-hmm. Um, so the properties listed, some of them are, some of them Jim are already in Universal Studios Hollywood like Secret Life of Pets, it's yeah. already there. Mm-hmm. Um, Back to the Future, uh, Downton Abbey, Jurassic Park, Stranger Things, mm-hmm. Minions, uh, Where's Waldo? And I think Jim, what Universal should do is say there is one there, you just can't find it. But the uh, okay. the other the other interesting things to me is you know it, it lists attractions that are already there like Harry Potter, and I don't know if that's like to to level set mm-hmm. the survey responses, but also it has things like Frozen and Mickey Mouse.
0: Obviously, anybody who's in the know you know understands those are, are Disney IP, but. The ones that jump out at me are well. First of all, Jason Bourne. You know they've already yeah. got the attraction right. in uh, in Florida, which easy enough to to bring that to California if they they want. But the notion of Downton Abbey, Puss in Boots, and what? Yes, yeah. Scooby Doo. Yeah, yeah. Likewise, Camp Cretaceous, which is a more kid friendly offshoot of the Jurassic Park, Jurassic World franchise. Right. These are interesting. They're they walking these out.
1: Yeah, like I said, some of them are there obviously to level set. Although mm-hmm. you know, if uh, if Universal Studios Hollywood wants to look ahead to next year when Mickey when the original version of Mickey Mouse mm-hmm. uh, Steamboat Willie uh, does uh, does not have a copyright protection mm-hmm. and do an attraction based on that, the legal fireworks from that gym would be <laughs> I would pay money to watch.
0: Right. Well, uh, conversely, though, I, just on the heels of of the Michelin stuff. You know, just think about Universal creating their answer to Victorian Albert, seeking to the notion of, oh, how about having dinner at Downton Abbey? And, you know, oh, do- didn't think of that.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so, oh, fantastic. Mm-hmm. Oh, that, all right. So, if anyone else gets a similar survey, let us know. Okay. And then Susan sent in a Shop Disney survey with questions we've never seen before. Here are mm-hmm. some of the highlights from Susan Does the site have enough products for each age group? including enough gender neutral options in each age grouping. And then Susan mentioned that they also asked who she was shopping for, and she answered that it included a non-binary teen, Mm -hmm. and that possibly those uh, answers prompted the extra questions that are coming up. Mm -hmm. She says, for the first time that I can remember, the survey asked my political party Mm -hmm. with about eight options listed before a fill-in-the-blank or a none option. Mm -hmm. Also, whether I considered myself liberal, somewhat liberal, etc all the way through Libertarian. Mm -hmm. Also the specific age and gender of each of my family members. Another separate question asked if a household member was LGBTQIA+. Mm -hmm. It also asked which Disney properties I visited and the dates of the last visit for each specific park. And then it asked the usual demographic questions. So the dates of visit to the specific parks Mm -hmm. is interesting when combined with that other information.
0: It is just kind of fascinated by these sorts of questions which had been the third rail
1: yeah but you know universal's been asking them as well this is true this is yeah. true so I, I i think it's just to get more information about the the general demographic of uh, of guests the other interesting thing about this is is you mm-hmm. know when you look at how polling especially political polling goes mm-hmm. in general and that it's so difficult because we everyone used to poll using landlines right mm-hmm. and you could call people during dinner and someone would pick up the phone. But now everyone has cell phones and everyone is trained not to pick up the phone yeah. when they don't recognize a number <laughs> that's, that's calling them. So it gets much more difficult to get accurate uh, demographics, yeah. As Nate Silver has learned over and over mm. and over again. So yeah, you went there, didn't you?
0: Yeah, I did, I did. <laughs> I did.
1: <laughs> All right, on to listener questions. Robert writes in to say, you know, building a prison next to Disney World opens up the possibility of retheming old attractions into exciting new ones. I propose these two. Living on the lamb. <laughs> <laughs> a boat ride through different geographies, which also passes by plates that you could eat to survive when living on the run. Entertaining mm-hmm. and educational. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then watch out showcase. Enjoy visiting sections of some of the world's most dangerous cities in a somewhat safe environment. <laughs> 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 living living on the lamb, Jim, and the t shirt just living sells to itself.
0: The lamb. <laughs> it's- kind of interesting were this to actually happen the prison being built next to Disney property I mean why stop there maybe build a prison on Disney property I mean think of how you could multi-purpose that scene in Pirates of the Caribbean yeah exactly we could have a a different set of of folks trying to persuade that dog to hand over the (laughs) (laughs) yeah
1: I I also note, uh, Jim, that during our uh, tour of Walt Disney Imagineering, uh, Mm -hmm. we saw a whiteboard Mm -hmm. with the name Project Alcatraz on it, which we all know is the code name for Rise Mm of the Resistance as it was being built. (laughs) I'm just saying, the stationery (laughs) might already be printed, Jim. (laughs) There we go. All right. There's a letter from Shane who wrote in to talk about the time he was a cast member at Hollywood Studios and a fire broke out. So this Mm -hmm. relates back to last week's episode, Jim, where we talked about fires Mm -hmm. in uh, in shows. Shane says, let me take you back approximately five years ago on a hot summer day in Disney's Hollywood Studios when a small fire broke out next to the HVAC building. It was nothing serious, probably just somebody on their smoke break flicking Mm -hmm. their ashes in the wrong direction, but it had major repercussions because the smoke got into the intake vent of the HVAC system. The computer sensed that and automatically shut down all the air conditioning in the park. (laughs) Let me repeat that for dramatic effect. Every air conditioning unit got shut down in the park on a hot summer day in Florida. Every attraction had to go offline, not because of technical difficulties, but because it was just so darn hot indoors. The only attraction not affected was Muppet Vision 3D -hmm. because it had its own private HVAC system for some mysterious and unknown reason. Jim, it's nice to know that the disaster recovery plan for Hollywood Studios (laughs) is Muppet Vision 3D. (laughs) That's the contingency planning. You know what, you know, God forbid anything bad happens here, but if it does, Mm -hmm. we got to keep Muppet Vision running. (laughs) Like that's the plan, (laughs) okay. (laughs) So so, Shane continues, in mm-hmm. the animation courtyard, we made the best of a bad situation and threw a block party with mm-hmm. hula hoops and games. But my favorite part of the story is when I was stationed in front of Disney Junior answering questions mm-hmm. and then whenever an angry parent would approach me to ask why the show was canceled, I'd answer with, okay, I'm going to level with you. There was a fire. And then as soon as I said fire, their attitude would do a 180 and then back off. <laughs> wow. a quick follow-up to to last week's story
0: about the the various fires on property. I did have one or two folks point out the infamous uh, monorail fire back in June of 1985. But uh, toward that end, we we actually did a podcast about that a few years back. We'll have to... That's right. uh, We have talked about it, yeah. Yeah. But but yeah, uh, apologies, yes. I should have filed that into the pile because uh, 200 people had to be rescued off of that thing. That was pretty impressive
1: back in the day. You know, the... Getting rescued off of the monorail, like I'm afraid of heights. So the idea of me having to pop the hatch in a monorail and get out and climb on top of it, yeah. I would probably take my chances with the fire. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I would. There would be some serious thought given. Let's put it that way. Yeah.
0: This is why I always carry
1: a S'mores kit with me. <laughs> exactly. Well, you're never
0: going to go out. There <laughs> yeah, we go.
1: So, all right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back. Jim talks about how Disney's Star of the Day program led to special events like Star Wars Weekend and Super Sub Weekend. We'll be right back.
0: I don't know if I've mentioned this before, but I'm kind of an idiot when it comes to technology. I know, I know. You'd think a guy who co-hosts a bunch of podcasts would be somewhat tech-savvy, but nope. I'm constantly whining to Nancy, who spent 25 years working in the tech sector. So yes, this woman has serious skills when it comes to computers. I'm whining to her about, please come fix what I just broke. And just so you know, I get my tech skills from my mom. She, too, is, as they say, technologically challenged, which is why every year when Mother's Day rolls around, the question that arises is about what's an appropriate gift because, and forgive me for being blunt here, but if that Mother's Day gift involves a lot of buttons and switches, then it's going to stay in the box, unused. So when somebody suggested I should get my mom an Aura Frames this year, I was hesitant to say the least. But as it turns out, AuraFrames is the perfect gift for your not-so-tech-savvy family members. It was super easy to set up. By that I mean, even a bozo like myself was able to do it in just a couple of minutes, and my 92-year-old mom caught on as to how to properly use her AuraFrames even faster than I did. If you're not familiar with Aura frames, these are digital frames that bring all of your photos and videos together in one stunning high-resolution display. And the best part is, you can upload unlimited photos and videos from anywhere in the world using the free Aura app and Wi-Fi with no fees ever. You can even preload the frame with personalized messages and meaningful memories that will then appear as soon as your mom plugs in her frame. And right now, Aura has a great deal going for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames. That's A-U-R-A frames dot com. Use code DisneyDish to get up to $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frames. FYI, though, this deal ends on May 14th, so don't wait. And terms and conditions apply, of course. So this year, there's honestly no need to scramble when it comes to getting your mom the gift that will then show her how much she means to you. Get her the product that was declared the best digital photo frame by Wirecutter and the strategist. Not to mention being selected as one of Oprah's favorite things. And that's Aura Frames, which are guaranteed to make mom or grandma smile. We thank them for sponsoring today's episode. This episode is brought to you by Better Sleep. Did you see where, just last week, the U.S. Surgeon General said that being lonely can pose a health risk to the average person that's equivalent to smoking upwards of 15 cigarettes daily? It's bizarre what sometimes can impact your physical well-being. Take example, sleep. I I mean, I don't need to tell you folks this, but getting high-quality rest on a regular basis is absolutely vital when it comes to maintaining one's physical health and well-being. Of course, it's one thing to know that, and then quite another thing to actually do something about it. But that, I mean, uh, how many times you've been there in bed, lying awake, unable to turn your brain off, telling yourself, okay, that's enough, it's time now to go to sleep. Well, if you were to make use of the Better Sleep app, which Business Insider says is the most positively reviewed app in the history of the Apple Store, you'd then be able to craft a personalized sleep experience that would help you calm all of those racing thoughts. Me personally, I've been having a fun time digging through that online toolkit which Better Sleep makes available to you for improved rest. We're talking over 200 soothing sounds, not to mention a range of smart features that will then help you sleep faster, deeper, and for longer. Lately, I've been experimenting with some of the audio tracks that Better Sleep has on file. I'm trying to figure out which one actually puts me to sleep faster wind in trees or green noise. Mind you, BetterHelp is backed by sleep experts in science. This company collaborated with world-renowned sleep specialist and Oxford University professor Dr. Russell Foster to help you achieve your best sleep. So why not clear your mind and ease your stress by trying the app that's been downloaded 55 million times and counting? Look, when you sleep better, you feel better. Improve your quality of life in as little as one week. Download Better Sleep from your App Store or Google Play. That's Better Sleep on the App Store or Google Play. We thank them for sponsoring today's episode. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise.
1: What a wonderful day!
0: It's a jaw dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. We need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, now playing only in theaters. Rated PG 13, some material may be inappropriate for children under
1: 13. The Star of the Day Group. So, a couple of weeks ago, a couple of episodes ago, we were talking about this, we made a passing reference to it, and then we got enough. Listener interest in it that we decided to do a show on it. What are we What are we talking about exactly?
0: The, what started us down this path was we got that email about uh, the uh, listener who had gone to the theater of the stars and had noticed that there were the two cement slabs, you know, in there. That one was for Monty Hall and the other one was for Bob Denver, and right. and that's what sort of sent us off in the direction of Star of the Day, but. We really have to sort of back up to the original Grauman's Chinese Theater, uh, the building okay. that the Chinese Theater, now home to Mickey and Runaway Railway, at the studios is modeled after. And okay. this really for real ornate structure was built along uh, Hollywood Boulevard uh, out in Southern California back in the mid-1920s. Massive structure, Uh, originally had seating for over 2,000 people inside of one giant theater. Now it's, it just as happens, you know, at every theater around the country, it's now been cut into six smaller theaters, it took 18 months to build. And, and as the story goes, Sid Grauman, the guy who, who funded the construction of the Chinese Theater, was taking uh, then screen legend Norma Talmadge on a tour of the then under construction uh, movie palace, which, again, uh-huh. $2 million, a lot of money back in the day. Sure. Norma wasn't paying attention to where she was walking, and she steps off a curb. Into a, in this construction site into some wet cement.
1: And she's there to this day. Is that how the story is? <laughs> the poor woman. They, they bring her
0: beverages. Um, well, no. Actually, what happens is Sid, who is a, a master showman, looks at, at Norma's footprints in the wet cement and, and sees a promotional opportunity. Leads Ooh. over. And next to Norma's footprints, he uses his finger to quickly scribble her name and the date. And thus, a Hollywood tradition is born. Oh. For a certain generation of performers in Hollywood getting your footprints and handprints cast in cement at Grauman's Chinese meant that you arrived. So that version of the Chinese theater opens in May of 1927. We're now going to talk about the version that opened at uh, Disney MGM in May of 89. In fact, 34 years ago this week. But if we back up, say, a year, year and a half, Michael Eisner had put out the order to the effect of, look, I want Our Chinese theater to be just like the one in Hollywood, which means I want in the forecourt of this building, you know, I want, you know, footprints of celebrities. And for the Imagineers, it's like, well, okay, that means we're going to have to get some of these going well in advance. So as you walk through the courtyard, uh, you can find actually the first two that were collected. There's Cindy Williams and there's Carol Burnett.
1: Here's my first question. Yep. They're not flying cement slabs back and forth between wherever these stars are mm-hmm. and Disney and Jim Studios, right? How do, they get the, how do they get these people to actually sign wet cement? Now, in the
0: case of Carol Burnett, she was actually there on site. In fact, yeah. June of 1988, Carol was there in the just-completed Soundstage 3 to shoot, a, it was an hour-long TV special called A Conversation with Carol would eventually air on the Disney Channel starting in August of 88. But while she was there on site, they literally came to her and was like, okay, here is the, the squared off thing of cement, please sign. So Carol uh, signs it and dated it 1988. Now, on the other hand, oh, interesting. in the case of Cindy Williams, she was shooting
1: a TV movie. In fact it was called Save the Dog. I, I can't believe I don't remember this, but okay. okay. <laughs> Save the Dog.
0: You didn't don't remember that classic? This aired, by the way, on NBC as part of their Magical World of Disney programming blog. But okay. I want to say this was shot in Canada, not in L.A. And what they ended up doing was, you know, they came at her with a, a thing of cement. She signed it on set. Once it set, you know, some poor FedEx guy got a hernia,
1: making sure that made its way to Florida. And I, mean, I mean, those cement, those cement slabs. Mm-hmm. Have to weigh many hundreds of pounds. They they're do. Not, they do. They're probably just they're probably just driving them. Across, they're probably just hiring a cast member to put it in the back of a minivan and driving I, it. That might be literally the cheapest way to get that there. Given that again, they
0: needed them for uh, you know the opening in the spring of 1989.
1: Well, they just rented a truck and yeah shipped. Them well,
0: yeah. The, in fact, I know Alan Alda signed in '88, and there's a
1: bunch of other folks that they did. So that's interesting. So if you if you're in the studios mm-hmm. and you find a block. Mm-hmm. With a date of 1988. It that's was signed right. before the park even opened. Cool. So that's something for our listeners to look at the next time they're there. there well, that's awesome. All right. Okay, cool.
0: Okay. If we now jump ahead to the actual grand opening of MGM, three day long affair, stretch from April 29th through May 1st, of 1989, there were celebrities galore on hand, Glenn. And What Disney did then was they deliberately staged several events in front of the press where multiple stars uh, then pressed their hands in in wet cement, all at the same time, mind you, in front of cameras. And among the stars that took part in the opening of MGM, you had Bette Miller and Kevin Costner. Uh, Mm -hmm. You had representatives of Hollywood's Golden Age like Mickey Rooney and Ann Miller, (laughs) former Glamour Girls like Lauren Bacall and Audrey Hepburn. Television pioneers like Buffalo Bob of Howdy Doody fame, Imogene mm. Coca, and Edie Adams, sitcom stars from the '60s like Rosemary and Maury Amsterdam, and and of course, Len. I know you would have been excited. Uh, Werner K- K- Kempler, Colonel Clink from from Hogan's Heroes.
1: Ugh. You know. I would have I would have gone for that. I would have made a special trip over to the park. There we go.
0: But Disney really put out an all points bullet, and, and people came out. I mean, you had. Genuine legends like Bob Hope and George Burns, uh, mm-hmm. top music stars Willie Nelson, the Pointer Sisters. Willie Nelson just Willie Nelson just got in, inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah, yeah. at mm-hmm. ninety, at ninety. Sure. Okay. Disney legends like Annette Funicello, Art Linkletter, Dick Van Dyke, and full-on modern-day icons like you know, or back in the day, modern-day icons like Walter Cronkite and Leonard Nimoy and, mm-hmm. And Disney did its damnedest to capture all of these celebrities' signatures and handprints and footprints. And after they dried, they were then loaded into the forecourt of the Chinese theater. And by the way, Len, the week that uh, Disney's third theme park opened, Disney M. Jam kicks off its start of the day program with Annette. You know, Annette Funicello is the very first star of the day. Sure. Uh, the way it used to work is Disney started the day program, they, they would typically do two stars of the day every week typically the way it would work is one star would come in and appear monday through thursday uh at the park and then the second one would come in and do basically the weekend shift friday through sunday and this was a sweet gig disney would you know offer the opportunity to the the celebrity explain look we're gonna fly you and your immediate family into orlando we're gonna put you up at the grand flow We're going to give you free admission to the park. We're going to assign you a plaid to make sure that you never wait in line for anything. Comp all of your meals and your hotel room. In return, though, the celebrity, they asked for three hours of their time every day. And the way this would work is at noon, they'd be picked up at the Grand Flow and then driven by town car over to the studio and they do a quick makeup hair session and then... The celebrity would then, at one o'clock, take part in a star conversation, and this would be presented in... Do you remember when the Theater of the Stars was actually at the edge of Hollywood Boulevard rather than all the way back on Sunset?
1: Yeah, it was right there on the corner. Then mm-hmm. there's a Starbucks there now, which is sort of a, <laughs> well, they, <laughs> sort of a funny commentary on uh, There, there uh, we go. That, that's where we live today.
0: Okay. And they would answer questions that folks from the audience would, would ply and then... There'd be a brief break, go back, you know, get a snack, get a drink, and then they'd climb into a, a convertible and they'd drive up Hollywood Boulevard, waving to the folks uh, you know, along the way. And then in front of the Chinese theater, they would do a handprint ceremony and pose for pictures for folks there. And by 2.30, they're off the clock. And so at this point, the plaid that's been assigned to them, it's like, well, do you want me to take... You know, I can take you back to the hotel or we can join your family wherever they are at the resort.
1: We could tell your family you've been delayed indefinitely. <laughs> Go to a bar somewhere. We could do lots of things. What would you like to do? This is true. Let's head to the catwalk.
0: Okay, you know. But yeah, like I said earlier, sweet, sweet gig. Basically a free Walt Disney World vacation for you and your family. Uh, you know, And again, in exchange for three hours of, of being adored by the theme park going public. And who would say no to that gig? And a lot of folks actually said no not so much for the free vacation, but they were actually curious about what a Disney MGM was. And I've talked with a number of plants who were signed to this program, and they were there were a number of folks who, you know, it's like, well, take me to these new state of the art sound stages. I may be working here someday soon. I want to check them out, yeah. We were just talking about, you know, people taking pictures of the celebrities out in front of the Chinese theaters. They're pressing their hands in the cement. If you didn't bring your camera that day to the park and, and couldn't capture a picture of that performer in action. Uh, not to worry, you could always, on your way out of the park, swing into guest relations, and they would have a free black and white five by seven. I remember this. Yeah, yeah. A, a card of the celebrity of the day, and
1: yeah. <laughs> you want one? You want ten? Take them. Go. You know. Uh, so. I think my, I think my my twin sister Linda once picked up one from like, and I'm making something up here. It was like. Chico and the Man. She's like, like, oh, my God, look, they're giving this away. I'm like, yeah, they are, aren't they? <laughs> like, okay. All right, all right but,
0: I'll, I'll, I'll have to check to see when Jack Albertson was in the park
1: that day. Okay. Right. I was like, you are inordinately happy about this, and I don't know why. Like, all right, but, Jim, you mentioned that they had two stars per week, one right. Monday through Thursday, mm-hmm. one Friday and Saturday. And they did right. this. did they do the same schedule every day? They did. They did. Okay, so here's my question. Mm-hmm. If they did the same schedule every day, that means that they did the handprinting ceremony every day, uh-huh. which means there are three or four different slabs of concrete <laughs> with various celebrity handprints on them floating Wait, around Central Florida.
0: I've been told by folks who worked at Disney Am during the height of the Star of the Day program, which sadly was discontinued in, in the mid-1990s once uh, Sunset Boulevard and Twilight's own Tower of Terror opened. But but yes, they did in fact wind up with multiple slabs of hardened concrete with the exact same celebrity signature in them. And if the decision was made to install that particular celebrity's slab in the forecourt of the Chinese theater, there were actually the managers at MGM whose job was they would you know, put the four or three or four different you know hard now hardened concrete yeah. things on a conference table backstage and then like all right well judge I, for penmanship <laughs> no that's it exactly because yeah. you know, it turns out that some celebrities have horrible handwriting and well, it's you like know. you know the whole point is you have to it's not enough that okay it's it's hey this was signed by Bob Hope it's like you yeah. ha- actually have to be able to read it and go oh, that's yeah, Bob guests Hope. have to
1: be able to read who it is too
0: there we go. There we go. And uh, more to the point, you know, there were just celebrities who choked. In fact, they were kind of grateful to have day two or day three to go with because they they would look at the slab and go, Oof.
1: "Okay, yeah, got this." Well, I mean, to be fair, not many of us walk around every day practicing our handwriting in cement.
0: It, which anyway brings us back to the Bob Denver and Monty Hall's, uh cement slabs we were talking about previously. When the decision was made to relocate the Theater of the Stars from the edge of Hollywood Boulevard to Sunset Boulevard, they decided that what they wanted to do with the walkway inside of that theater was Mm. make it a tribute to stars of television so they literally went into the warehouse that is now filled with all of these cement slabs and then you know first of all all right pull a a variety of television stars and then Mm -hmm. let's go through them and get the best possible signatures and that sort of thing and that's how they were then selected to be placed in that particular venue and that's a that's a nice level of detail that's actually kind of great yeah i thought so as well and Speaking of details, one quick note to, to one Bob Iger, who is in the process of laying off thousands of Disney employees in an effort to right the ship financially. At Disney, because remember they're they're still dealing with that seventy billion when they completed their acquisition of certain film elements from Fox and, uh, back in March of two thousand nineteen. You know they're still yeah. mitigating that debt, Mr. Iger. You have a warehouse full. Of cement blocks with celebrity signatures on them. And and many of these folks, uh, screen and television legends, are no longer with us. Yeah, probably worth something. I would be reaching out to the nice folks at Van Eaton and, you know, hiring them to, to set up some sort of an auction. And, and okay, so, so maybe you want to throw a few bucks toward Give Kids the World. Sure. Not to seem nakedly greedy, but that's an asset, Len. Yeah,
1: exactly. Mike at VanEaton, VEGalleries.com. <laughs> we That's do. the email address, Mr. Auger. yeah. Okay, anyway,
0: to close out today's feature, I was there, Len, for the, the, the press opening of MGM, as I mentioned, 34 years ago this week. And I honestly almost got a broken neck from mm. c- constantly whipping around, you know, at all of the celebrities that were in the park over those three days. I mean... Uh, folks that I was a fan of like Rick Moranis or, or Jim Varney on the other hand to see three of the four golden girls uh, Betty White Rue McClanahan and Estelle Getty's going by that was interesting you, you know Betty White's going to be
1: up for anything right? you know, yeah.
0: on the other hand I actually got the opportunity during this event, to sit down with folks like Jimmy McDonald, the, the, oh. the guy who did all of the sound effects, sound effects for Disney yeah. for years, and I really I have to dig out that tape because I got so many working with Walt stories from that guy.
1: Oh, that's great.
0: Yeah, we did that with a balloon and a BB. You know, I mean lots of <laughs> lots well,
1: of stuff. Well, I mean, mean he, he was there because the uh, the the uh, the sound effects show, right? Mm-hmm.
0: Yep. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yep. No, no the, In fact, the the old pre-show for the Monster Sound Show was David Letterman uh, actually interviewing Jimmy on, uh, you know, Late Night with David Letterman. It was. I, I remember this. Yeah, yeah, I remember. It, yeah. Anyway, to bring this to a close, if you really want to get a sense of who actually took part in Disney MGM Star of the Day program, because again, not every one of these cement blocks with celebrity signatures on them wound up being displayed in the forecourt of the Chinese Theater or over in the the, the theater of the Stars of Sunset. What you can do, Len, is you can go to Mama Melrose, which there in the waiting area of that Muppets Courtyard restaurant, there are dozens of these old black and white five-by-seven images, the, the cards that were given out from guest relations. So you want to know who you could have seen? Go there. That's
1: amazing. Mm-hmm. So they're still there now. They're still there now. That's, that's and, fantastic. And, and to be honest,
0: they, they should maybe dust.
1: Well, I'm headed over there on uh, on Sunday. So the next time we record, I'll, I'll come back and report on who's there. Oh, cool, cool, cool. All right, folks, that's going to do it for the show today. You can help support our show and Hill Media by subscribing over at DisneyDish.Bandcamp.com, where you'll find exclusive shows never before heard on iTunes, including walkarounds Jim and I have done in Walt Disney World recently. On next week's show, Jim will be back with more stories, and I'm gonna talk about the best touring plans for Disney's Animal Kingdom without paying for Genie+. You can find more of Jim at jimhillmedia.com and more of me, Len, at touringplans.com. We're produced fabulously by Aaron Adams, who'll be giving tips on late spring bass fishing techniques, including the importance of paws with finesse worms. At the 2023 Flop Eye Fish Festival, May 26th and 27th, at the industrial park bordering Great Falls Lake, just off James Baker Boulevard, in beautiful downtown Great Falls, South Carolina. And I love Jim that the, the industrial park doesn't have a name. It's just, you know, the one next to Great Falls Lake. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, while Aaron's doing that, please go onto iTunes and read our show and tell us what you'd like to hear next. For Jim, this is Len. We'll see you on the next show.